Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. How are you, mate? Very well. What is doing? Geez, I, we sort of feel like I'm out of isolation, but I'm not. I'm sort of still <laughs> in my garage talking to you <laughs> of half past six on a Wednesday night. But, mate, how are you? I mean, yeah, geez. we should give it some context. So we're recording this on the evening of Thursday, the 25th of June, and we're going to release it Monday. So we're almost live podcasting, really. But, look, it may be just symptomatic of the fact that we haven't got any Desk lined up. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, one thing we actually don't do very often is chat between ourselves, do we? Well, mate, we do, but we just don't record it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if we recorded all our chats, we wouldn't have a podcast. No one would listen to us. <laughs> the worst podcast of all time. But, you know, no, you're right, mate. You know, we thought we'd jump on and just have a bit of a chat, you know, check in. It's been a very, very, very interesting time. And yeah. uh, we thought we'd cover a few topics, but mainly to introduce our zero litter to ocean policy paper that we are really trying to get off the ground. And we've had a great level of support from local government, from business, from the non-for-profit sector. And we're pretty excited to tell you guys what it's about. It's very easy to say zero litter to ocean policy paper. And... Brad, I mean, I mean, how long is it? Seventeen pages. It was thirty. Mm. You know, it yeah. takes a bit of effort to read through. So, you know, give us your summation of uh, zero litter to ocean. Look, it's basically our proposed strategy to stop about a ton and a half of plastic entering Australian waterways every hour on average. We reckon with this strategy, with implementation of this strategy, we can stop uh, a roughly 600 wheelie bins of plastic going into our oceans every day. But it's not just all about the environment. It is particularly given the current, I guess, economic crisis that we're in in the midst of COVID and significant job losses. We see this as a great opportunity of actually stimulating the economy and actually creating a stack of jobs. We think it's going to create about 7,400 Australian jobs if we basically do this initiative. And, you know, and let's be real about it. We should be doing it anyway. You know, that's one of the biggest things that Brad and I say. Guys, this is a job that needs to be done. So in a time when you need to stimulate an economy and get people that have lost their jobs from Virgin, Qantas, wherever, to get them trained up to go out to reduce the amount of litter and gross pollutants entering our waterways, cleaning and maintaining devices that should have been maintained anyway, 
it's a no-brainer. It really is a no-brainer. Yeah. And, and I think this, I think we should backtrack a little bit. This podcast isn't just about how amazing the strategy is and how everyone should do it. it no, actually, it is, mate. It is. No. It, 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 no. The whole thing. <laughs> no. no, but I think as a listener, and we have some amazingly engaged listeners, and one thing we always get, keep on getting asked by our listeners is, I love what you guys are talking about in terms of stopping pollution, entering our waterways, et cetera. How can I help? And this is actually one initiative that I really think our listeners can actually help us with. But we should, and I'll, I'll get to that detail in a little bit later, but we should give it some context because, to be honest, this, this initiative has come out as a result of this podcast. So Jeremy will definitely remember our podcast number two. Mr. Jim Linhart, come on down. Yeah, the godfather of Stormwater. A guru from the States, and he essentially was one of our podcast guests. So we're chatting about a whole bunch of things, Jeremy, remember? It was, yeah, it was a great episode. It was, it was about the fish. They can prove that through heavy metal contamination in rivers that fish get dumb. Yeah, so heavy metal contamination of our waterways, impairing brain function of fish. That's which right. basically they showed that this fish could navigate very well with heavy metal concentrations in the waterways, which was just one of the things we spoke about. Yeah, great episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know he's never listened to it? He's too afraid <laughs> he to hear should. his own. No, he's, he's too afraid to hear his own voice. So shout oh, out really? to him. Yeah, he gets really embarrassed. But anyway. Thankfully, we don't have that problem. No, 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 we don't. <laughs> In this chat, you know, Jim's referred to this zero litter to ocean policy that was born out of California. Mm. And Brad and I, our ears picked up, didn't they? They were like, what's this? <laughs> yeah, Jim called it Zero Trash to Waterways, I think it was. And it was an initiative, I think, uh, the state of California set this lofty goal of stopping all trash entering their waterways by 2030. And that's we were like, hey, that's a great idea. And Jim gave some context in relation to how it started. So it actually was started by the local community and environmental groups in California suing the government. Yeah, see, that's the thing over there, especially with environmental things. You know, like, you can get sued over there if you don't clean your GPT. You know, that's how the legislation around water quality management, you know, goes. You know, it's good on the Americans. Go. But in all seriousness, we can do this in Australia, but we're just reluctant to. No, well, you can only sue and get, you've got to sue and show damages. You can't just go, oh, I'm going to sue you and I want a million bucks. You've got to show a loss. That's <laughs> but I think if I could demonstrate damages, so if I'm a tourism industry operator and I know that, for example, a 10% drop-off of my tourism numbers as a result of a lingbia, like an algae outbreak, I can definitely quantify that and subsequently sue the government if I believe they actually aren't appropriately protecting our waterways. Similarly, if I'm an oyster farmer or if I'm fishing, and my stocks are somehow impacted by water pollution, which we know happens in Sydney Harbour. You can't fish at all because of the pollution in the harbour. There is zero commercial fishing in Sydney Harbour because of pollution. What, in the whole harbour? I just thought it was west of the bridge. No, the whole harbour, no commercial Commercial, fishing. yeah, but you can still, yeah, no. You can recreational fish. I think you can't consume more than one shrimp per month because you exceed your recommended intake of dioxin. So that's an example of a human health risk. And again, look, long story short, I think if the Australian public were litigating sort of like I guess the Americans are notorious for, we probably could. But look. For another day, Bradley, for another day. (laughs) But we certainly like the idea of this whole zero trash and waterways. And we thought, what a great idea. We could do that in Australia, maybe, maybe, maybe. And you might remember we had Michael Wicks on our podcast a few episodes later talking about the potential of actually a zero-littered ocean target for Australia, and it was very much pie in the sky. 
we were like, yeah, big goal, big lofty goal, but it's probably so far out there, it's never really going to happen. And then the more we sort of talked about it, and we actually pitched it to a few local governments. And to date, in Australia, we had a total of five local councils in Australia that have already committed to achieving zero litter to river or ocean by 2030, which, you know, from a from a, an idea that came out of a podcast and is now a strategy and a target set by five local governments, that's pretty cool. Yeah, look, it is, mate, but it wasn't our idea. We took someone else's idea and went, you will just do it here. So let's not get too... We're standing on the shoulders of geniuses, but yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. doesn't mean we can't enjoy the Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> but look, and we should do a shout out to those local councils. I think by memory, it's City Bride, Burwood, City of Sydney, Noosa Council in their draft river plan, and I'm sure I'm missing another one. Burwood. Burwood, yeah, so... But look, the five councils have committed to it, but we thought, look, big scale, it'd be great if the Australian federal government or the, the state government sort of work towards this target en masse. But we're really pitching it pre-COVID as an environmental initiative. Yeah, and we were. And I'm sure everyone remembers when COVID wasn't in the news, they talked about heaps of other stuff. <laughs> there was quite a bit, almost a tsunami of information coming in to governments and to us as consumers about plastics. There was a plastics conference put on by the government in Canberra. Scott Morrison said at the UN in September of 2019, we don't want plastic going into our oceans. You know, and so back then, as Brad was talking about it, you know, it was purely going, hey, we've got a, we've got a solution. Cosmo, stop it. That was Oscar, actually. Oscar, sorry. <laughs> well, you know, it, it was purely an environmental sort of idea and something that we were very passionate about and we were already going to them in front of it, weren't we? Yeah, and like we indicated before, some councils really liked the environmental initiative and saw it as the right thing to do, something they probably yeah, the right should, thing to should do, be doing right. to do. But having said that, there's a lot of things that we should be doing, but we just don't. But obviously, Get a haircut, mate, haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Never. But obviously, and the global pandemic hit, and obviously priorities shift. Yeah, and, you know, it sent business sideways. I mean, all of a sudden you're stuck in your house or your bedroom if you're flatting or, you know, whatever. We were in isolation pretty much for, you know, a good month, all of us, you know, unanimously around the country, different states. And, you know, you, I remember going through those those days, and, and it's it's only four months ago, but, gee, I mean, life was a bit upside down at the time, wasn't it? You know, we were, Absolutely. I mean, I remember, you know, like, are we going to have a business? Is, is everyone just going to, you know, it was just, and every friend, every colleague, everyone was affected differently in some way, shape or form, and, and it's still going on today. So yeah. it was a few despairing days, put it that way, Brad. And let's face it, there was a lot of panic and there was a lot of... What do you mean Panic. There was a lot of reprioritizing. It's, it's all of a sudden became more important to have 30 rolls of toilet paper in your cupboard. Well, that's the whole point for our international listeners. In Australia, when we thought, like, the pandemic's going to hit, we've got to bunker down, the one thing that we thought the most important thing was to us was toilet paper, and we panic-bought toilet paper. Like, toilet paper was like gold. You know, people fighting at the supermarket over it. I mean, it's such a backward thought. Wouldn't you go food over toilet paper? You know, like, that's the whole... Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's international lessons. I mean, perfect. We look back and laugh, but at the time it was really concerning. But obviously, look, long story short, priorities at least changed. 
priority number one apparently was wiping your butt yeah. uh, with a nice <laughs> bit of tissue paper. Uh, but the environment and protecting the environment was basically tumbled down the list of priorities. But having said that, a really big priority in the midst of COVID and certainly will be post-COVID will be actually stimulating the economy. We've seen massive job losses in Australia. We've seen a huge impact to so many different businesses. You know, we've seen Qantas and Virgin Australia and all, all these sort of hospitality and tourism and, and so forth industries. And almost every small to medium-sized business has been really significantly impacted. So the Australian economy has taken a massive whack uh, and a whole bunch of people are out, are out of work. So the government, in response, is essentially or well, has been looking for economic stimulus packages. And we're sort of in late June now, so we've probably been experiencing the COVID dramas for several months now. And there's a whole bunch of economic stimulus packages that have already been essentially endorsed by the, the government. Everything from like roads and mining initiatives and... And significant development. So anything that was like a, hey, it's stadium, build it, you know. And, and I know for sure every country's trying to stimulate or think about stimulating their economy post-COVID. I mean, let's face it, it's been horrific. It still is. I think we're up to something like 8 million people or people have been infected, 8 or 9, something. You lose count. And we've only lost, I think, 103 or four lives here in Australia. Don't quote me, but somewhere around there. But we have taken a massive hit to our economy and to economies everywhere. But is the economy the be-all and end-all, really? So, I don't know, only time will tell. Yeah, but traditionally, and we spoke to Tim Silverwood and Corey, the environmental cowboy, about this previously. When the government is looking to stimulate the economy, they generally look for infrastructure projects, so roads, dams, and stuff like that. Stuff that they've done previously and they know essentially crack jobs, even though there's often a realisation that they don't provide a huge amount of bang for buck. Like when you build a road, you just delay a traffic problem, for example. If you build a stadium, how long do you have to rip it down and build another one anyway? So, But rarely have we actually looked at initiatives to stimulate the economy and protect the environment. And this is where we sort of pivoted with the zero limit ocean strategy all our calculations and initiatives were all around about oh yeah let's protect the environment and we can save 600 million bins of plastic going into our ocean every day just from australian waterways and we we knew it created a whole bunch of jobs but because i think jeremy and myself are probably you know tree hugging hippies potentially too much we weren't really focusing too much on the economic benefits of this strategy well we didn't think jobs we didn't, no. Look, we knew we, we, we would create a whole bunch of jobs in the process, but we didn't see that as the, um, yeah. the key goal or even a secondary benefit. But having said that, in the light of COVID, we've realised, you know what, this actually is a great job stimulus package and actually provides a lot of bang for buck. Well, let's be real. In the depths of despair, Brad, you and I, you know, it, it just came out of nowhere. We were like, why don't we just do this? And then we spoke to the guys at the office, spoke to Wixie, you know, we're like, Todd, you know, what, what, what do you guys think? And soon we were like, right, Brad, let's count this out. And it was it was mind-blowing, really. Yeah, and it's obviously happened very quickly. We've gone from a sort of an idea that we heard of, say, a year ago to sort of, you know, spitballing around for maybe six or 12 months. And then we've done a whole bunch of calculations from an environmental perspective in terms of how much pollution we're going to prevent, et cetera. But then when COVID hit, we're like, let's try and nail down and, and, and really be accurate with these jobs and really develop the strategy to such an extent that we're actually comfortable putting it forward to our political leaders. And that's essentially what we've done in a very, very short period of time. 
But look, currently what we've done literally in the last couple of weeks is actually pitch this policy paper to the federal and state government. And well, I guess we probably should talk about what actually is in the paper. So, and I guess if people are interested, we actually do have a website where people actually can view the policy paper, Jeremy. And if they want, they can actually pitch this policy paper to their own local, state or federal government ministers. 100%. So if you go to www.zerolittertoocean.com.au, the landing page up there is pretty simple. It takes you through what we are trying to achieve. It is the document and that is the website. Now somewhere in there, you'll click on there. If you want to get behind it, you can put your details in, your email address, your postcode, your organisation, and you know we'll be in touch. And if you want to be a part of this movement, it, it doesn't matter if you're an individual person, you're a small company, big company, non-for-profit, if you just give a shit about the ocean, you can sign up to this. And it's something that, I don't know, we'll see what happens. I mean, we'll put it out there and see what happens, Brad. Yeah. So, look, the policy paper is available on the website. It's 17 or 18 pages. There's an executive summary. But, look, in a nutshell, we know that this strategy will stop about 600 wheelie bins full of plastic entering our Australian waterways every day. 600 wheelie bins. 600 wheelie bins, yeah. So like you imagine like 600 wheelie bins a day. Yeah, so a typical wheelie bin in Australia is 400 litres. Oh, mate, everyone takes out the rubbish, don't they? <laughs> yeah. So, but look, and in other terms, it's about, it's about a tonne and a half of plastic on average every hour going to Australian waterways that we think we can stop. That's a tonne and a half of plastic every hour we'll stop with this strategy. But the environment aside, we'll create about 7,400 jobs. And most, the vast majority of those jobs won't require a huge amount of training. Yeah, They're jobs that we can say, okay, look, you're a personal trainer or a flight attendant or a tourism operator that's out of work for whatever reason. Okay, with a, with a few days worth of training, we can bring up to speed and actually essentially help with this strategy. Okay, so that's really, that's the second step. The third step, what's this thing going to cost? Yeah, so look, we estimate it's going to cost about $570 million every year over 10 years. So total over 10 years is $5.7 billion. But yeah, $570 million a year. What does a motorway, what does a tunnel cost? Uh, $4 billion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can Google it now, but anyone Google what's West Connects. And sure, this is, you know, great infrastructure, but we're talking about, imagine if Australia could do this and go, right, in 10 years, we're going to be a zero litter to ocean country. Like, why would you want to get, you know, people, tourists back to Australia? You're going to have the cleanest beaches, the cleanest river systems. We'll give you an example. You talk about cost before, like the towns. It would be Lara, sorry, it would be Lara Bingle, mate. <laughs> the Townsville Stadium. So people might be familiar with the Rugby League Stadium in Townsville that they basically, I think they tore down and built a new one for whatever reason. Now that alone, just for one little kickabout space in Townsville, cost $250 million. This initiative we're proposing to be across Australia. So it's not just one part of the world, one part of Australia. It's basically everywhere. And you're basically spending the money in the uh, populated areas. So where there's more people, there's more pollution. So there's more need to actually spend and actually do work in those areas. So basically the jobs will follow people. Yeah, exactly. And it's very scalable. Like we said, there's five councils already working towards this target in Australia. And we can essentially just roll across the country or pick various uh, locations as trials and pilots and, and essentially just scale from there. So taking the listener back, so I think we've covered what the policy sort of really is. We employ... Seven and a half thousand people. Yeah. 
we stopped 600 wheelie bins of plastic. Now, we've only put plastic in there because we'll stop, you know, thousands and, you know, hundreds of thousands of tonnes of, of other material, gross pollutants. I'm like, we're only talking plastic there just for a headline stat. And, you know, an investment of around $5.7 billion, which is not a lot, right, spread over that amount of time. So where we were at this time, we start, you know, writing this and, and we realised that this is actually a bloody good policy. You know, everyone we talked to went, hey, this is, this is a no-brainer. So we then sought support and went, well, how else can we do this? So we collaborated with Storm in New South Wales, and we've done this before in certain aspects. And, and oh, you know, I'm, I'm a vice president of Storm in New South Wales. Brad sits on Storm Queensland. You know, we've been a part of these organisations for a long time. And they're the peak body here in New South Wales committee of around I think 18 people and it's been going for over 20 years even Brett Phillips and Murray Powell I think have been there for for 22 years Brett is still the treasurer you know scary man anyway shout out to you Brett so we sought to go to this organization and say hey do you want to co-write this do you want to help and collaborate with this particular document and through that we really and I took it a step further, and, and one of the documents that we have produced, Stormwater in New South Wales, it's actually available to anyone here in Australia, is the Operations and Maintenance Guidelines. It's something that we've been working on for about four and a half years, championed by a guy by the name of Murray Powell, and to all the committee members that have spent a long time trying to get this document in out. It's how you go out and physically clean these devices. And so, again, we've pulled in you know, the likes of Stormwater New South Wales, you know, Gems Events, Chris Gray, training organisations and a great committee to go, well, how do we actually train these people? So, you know, that's not just this policy document, Brad. We're actually pulling together people. We've had Sarah Baird from Take 3 from the Sea, who is obviously supporting this, and, you know, shout out to that wonderful organisation. You know, I had a great chat with her, and, and, and she was like, well, how can we help? Is it with the education side of it? And and of course, we're like, hey, we, we, we all need help. So I just really wanted to highlight this. is It's not just an Ocean Protect initiative. There are a lot of people that are around and really have helped us, you know, um, the Tim Silverwoods. And it's to have the confidence from the group of people that are around us gives us the ability to go, well, why can't we do this? Why can't we put this together and go to the government? Yeah, it's certainly not an Ocean Protect agenda to have this strategy up and running for the benefit of Ocean Protect. People might say bullshit, so let's expand on that. Yeah, yeah. look, okay, well, Jeremy's indicated that we've drawn on a lot of technical expertise from a lot of individuals, particularly Storm in New South Wales, in the development of this policy paper. We had a, probably a, a decent draft that we pitched to Storm in New South Wales to try and get their support, and, and they overwhelmingly said, yeah, we'd love it, but we want to make some changes. And that's fair enough. And we got a whole bunch of input from a few different councils in particular. Shout out to Blacktown City Council and Ben Pendleric. We should note a whole bunch of people that contributed to this paper. Yeah, well, I think we should do that. Christy Good, I mean, there's... Yeah, but a lot of them are actually former podcast guests as well. So, look, if you're keen to learn more about Murray Powell and Ben Pendleric and those sort of guys, they're actually former podcast guests. So, But, look, we fine-tuned and revised this policy paper as quick as we could and as best we could, but it's in a... In a in a very technical sound way. And it's not just about sort of end of pipe treatment, like which may benefit some treatment device providers like us. It, there's a real big focus on the waste management hierarchy, you know, focusing on avoid first and then reusing and or reducing, reusing, recycling, and then maybe treatment. And then obviously the last step in that hierarchy is cleanup, which we've always sort of talked about being 
the least effective, the most costly. So our key focus as part of this strategy is essentially avoiding plastic in the first place as best we can. But look, we've then taken this paper and then taken it around to a whole bunch of stakeholders in this space. So look, would you guys be willing to provide us in principle support? And look, long story short, in a very, very small amount of time, we've had over 50 now councils, non-for-profit organisations and private industry groups basically provide this in-principle support. And that in-principle support says, look, we essentially support this initiative and we support you going to the federal and state government to essentially pitch this initiative to them. And so the councils, for example, there's the councils I listed, so Waverley, Northern Beaches, Penrith, Fraser Coast, Burwood, Noosa Council, Blacktown, Brisbane City Council, Port Macquarie, Hastings Council, and the city of Hobart. Yep. Amazing response. I just want to fact check you. Northern Beaches are having a, a meeting, I think, next month to officially put it through. So we've only had, just fact check, we've had some really good feedback from them, but they haven't given us their official support. Oh, official support, yeah. But look, these are some big councils, like City of Hobart, Brisbane City Council. Brisbane City Council is the biggest council in Australia, I believe. And a big shout out to all these guys. Like there's so many great champions within these councils. Particular shout out to my sort of hometown of Noosa with Frank Wilkie. Frank Wilkie, mate. Yeah. The deputy mayor. He was fantastic. So you can imagine it took it often requires council to do a whole bunch of discussion and liaison, which can take a lot of time. But a lot of these councils are actually able to sort of, I guess, expedite that because they realise that this is a great initiative and there's a way of essentially these councils getting some support from federal and state government to provide jobs but also protect their local waterways. In terms of the not, not oh, sorry, I, I'd like to do before we go to the MA, yeah. I'd like to do a shout out to Mayor Adrian Schrinner. Poor guy, I just peppered him. Um, you know, uh, like to give you guys an indication when we say we canvas people, Brad and I had the system set up where basically he would send me the email with the attachment and we'd, we'd, we'd do it together and it would take a couple of hours, but you're literally copy, paste, send, repeat, copy, paste, send, repeat, you know. And we just had the system to make it as efficient as we could. And so we didn't stuff it up. So, I mean, we've. <laughs> We've spent so many nights just sitting here, just keep giving people updates. You know, hey, guys, have you considered this? And, oh, I mean, I would hate to think how many hours we've put into sending emails. But, I mean, we've had a few laughs along the way. There's the monotonous of it, and you just talk crap like we are now. But it is good to have this support, like particularly from the councils. And then we've got a whole bunch of not-for-profits. So, essentially, some of South Australia and New South Wales and Queensland and Victoria, all of those peak body groups across those states have all provided that support. You know, groups like Keep Australia Beautiful, Ocean Lovers Festival, Sea Shepherd, Take Three, WWF, Ocean Impact, World Animal Protection, Sea Turtle Foundation, Noosa's World Surfing Reserve, Australian Seabird Rescue, Good for the Hood. You know, it's so good to get these guys saying, you know what, love what you're doing, keep up the good work, and we're behind you. And then we've got a whole bunch of consultancy groups and private industry groups, you know, look, there's stacks of those. Shout out to Jo uh, from Good From The Hood. I reckon she replied back with a yes from me within an hour or two. She was, I think she was the first, and that actually gave me real confidence that we, we would get more than one. <laughs> so thank you, Jo. No, it did, it, Brad and I were quite chuffed. But to talk about the private businesses, I mean, I guess that's what makes this unique. You know, this is about doing a good thing for the environment. This is about doing an amazing thing for the environment, but also stimulate the economy. So to have private enterprise 
sitting there and, and Brad, you know, let's go through the list of the guys that have signed on. Uh, I mean, there's heaps. Yeah, look, uh, there's a long list. Sparks and Partners, Kingspan, Two Development, and Henry and Hymas, NPN, Northrop, Morgan, Pipe Manager Australia, Rockler, CNN Consulting, Engineers, Tail Drain Cleaning, Optimal Stormwater, Asset Log, Renew Solutions, SGC, Inertia, AWC, Warren Smith and Partners, Amansaraj, Frank, ADG, GEMS, Event Management, and GEMS Environmental Management and Training Services. So, and Coston Row, Coston Row, they came in this afternoon. Coston Row, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we should point out, like, these guys are providing support, I guess, because ultimately they probably like uh, protecting the oceans and waterways as much as we do. But a lot of these companies will benefit just through training and design work that will obviously come out of essentially putting or designing the infrastructure that would actually be associated with at least one part of this zero-limited ocean strategy. But maybe we should probably talk about what actually the strategy entails. What do you reckon? Bring it down, mate. Sure. Bring it down. All the way down. I'm actually having a bit of fun, by the way, Bradley. It's quite good just to have a yarn <laughs> and actually explain what the hell we've been doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's easy to sort of gloss over it. You forget actually how much time we've spent doing this because, you know, we've been living and breathing this. But look, the key actions, and like I said before, there's a real big focus on the waste management hierarchy, which probably our listeners have heard us talk about this ad nauseum. So our key focus is, is avoiding plastic and litter in the first place. That's far more effective, far cheaper than anything that we could do. And then the next step would be trying to enhance reusing plastic and other goods and, and reducing the use. And then we look at recycling. And then we look at maybe uh, stormwater treatment devices and the appropriate maintenance and management of those or rectification. And look, look in, in summary, there's essentially eight key steps in this whole strategy. So I'll go through each of them now. So number one is essentially just making sure we've got the cash. So that's essentially what Jeremy and myself are doing currently. We're pitching this idea to the federal state government saying, hey, we really would love a sustainable source of funding to actually do what we're proposing as part of this target. Number two is actually establish what the target actually means. So what does zero litter to ocean target mean? may actually change based on what the federal government decide or state government. But what we've said is suggested is that we think a reasonable target would be to essentially stop everything, every piece of pollution bigger than five millimetres, like a cigarette butt. So anything bigger than that, we want to stop from entering any waterway up to a sort of significant rainfall event uh, from any what we call a high litter generating area. So the high litter generating areas aren't your sort of, you know, your, your park space or whatever. It's actually generally your commercial areas, your industrial areas, your community sort of areas, your tourism sort of hotspot areas, your high density residential and your sort of local district sort of centre areas like your CBD environments and sort of town centres. And we know that because we see what's in the drains and off if there's any sort of device. And, and our listeners would see that too. Let's, you know, give that a visual. You know, like when yeah. you go to a really busy shopping centre car park, you know, you often see the car park, there's crap everywhere. When you're down in the CBD of a windy night and you see all the, you know, bits of crap that's flying around everywhere, I mean, we call it load. And, and we know through modelling and, and through history what actually comes off, and that's how we size our gross balloon traps and, and stormwater devices. But once you see what's on the ground and you go, all oh, that's going to go down, you can't unsee it, Brad, can mm. you? Yeah. So yeah. for anyone out there, when next time you're in a, a high-density area and you know, lots of people around, and, and obviously due to COVID, hopefully we're getting back to that soon, you'll see there's a massive amount of pollution. And we must point out, during COVID, 
we significantly reduce the amount of pollution running off into our waterways because we, we as humans, we weren't out driving our cars, we weren't out littering. You know, there was a significant reduction, just like with CO2 emissions. During COVID, I mean, the planet got a breather for about a second. You know, so I would just want the listeners to next time they go out, look down, look down, you know, look. Once you see what is on the ground and then you add up all those bits and pieces and you think how big Sydney is, how big Melbourne is, how big America is, it really gets, really gets to the point on, on, on how big this problem is. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Yeah, 100%. So action number three is pretty simple, just continuing and where appropriate, enhancing We've got to enhance. existing litter reduction strategies. So local governments, for example, do a whole bunch of stuff already to reduce the amount of litter discharged into their waterways. And that could be manage, managing rubbish bins and uh, school education programs or community education and programs around litter management. Enforcement, so issuing fines for littering and stuff like that. Container deposit schemes. This is something we talked about with Kathy Willis, the fact that CSI research shows that where container deposit schemes are, uh, present, they reduce the amount of beverage container littering by about 40%. So, and look, they're already present in some states in Australia, like South Australia, Northern Territory, et cetera. But that's going to be happening anyway, nationwide by 2023. And whatever the government can do to sort of facilitate that and expedite that, it's going to be a good thing. Look, but I, I should point out, councils already do a really good job in this space. But there's a few areas like, for example, there's inconsistent standards for sort of storm management, for example, in some parts of Australia. But look, this is pretty much a business as usual action, but enhancing where it's required. And I'm sure council, if they had a little bit of extra cash, they could probably make a huge dent in actually reducing the amount of litter going into their waterways just through increased education and stuff like that. Now, number four is all about capacity building. This action is essentially about developing and providing what we're calling a national accredited training program for the inspection, maintenance, and reporting of stormwater treatment assets. So currently, we've got all these assets in the ground, like tens, probably hundreds of thousands of these assets, and there's no standard or accredited training on how to actually inspect and manage these assets. It is unbelievable. Yeah, and let's, let's really break that down. So in wastewater, okay, poos, let's just say it, the wastewater, it's like having a wastewater tank and not going to clean it out. So you've got rural areas, and Brad, you actually used to work in a wastewater treatment plant overseas, didn't you? Yep. 
Yeah, Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Well, shout out to the Yorkshire wastewater treatment plant. You had Brad Dalrymple. Massive wastewater treatment plant. Okay. Boom. <laughs> you know, we're removing hazardous waste and preventing it from going down into our waterways, creeks, rivers, and oceans. You know, it's, some of it's more toxic than poos. I mean, talk about it, Brad. I mean, what's easier, stormwater or poos? <laughs> it's like whether you want to get stabbed or shot. No, 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 no. But for our listeners, I mean, you've often said wastewater is easier to treat than stormwater. Oh, in terms of treatment, yeah, wastewater is easy. Like, wastewater is pretty constant. People are flushing their toilets pretty much all day, every day. And uh, there might be what we call a diurnal peak, where if you're managing a treatment plant, you'll know this, but there's a peak basically sort of in the morning where everyone's sort of getting up and doing the shower, poo and shave. And then... Is that your order, mate? You don't shave. (laughs) Oh, you shave your legs, don't you? It does. And then there's often a peak in the evening where everyone gets back from work or or whatever they might do. So, look, it's pretty constant. You might see a peak when it rains and you'll see it increase a little bit. But stormwater is way harder to to treat. Yeah. You know, it can be days, weeks, months without any water to treat at all. And then all of a sudden, bushka, you're slammed with a stack of water and... And there's really far more variability in the pollutant concentrations and loads from stormwater as well. So Yeah, you don't know what's coming down. Every catchment's different. And, and anyway, but um, going back to, to the poo story. Like, <laughs> please, oh, please. Well, while we're explaining, to anyone we tell the story, so we put these devices in that capture a whole range of nasty pollutants, heavy metals, you know, nitrogen, phosphorus, plastic. Like, this is what we do. And then we don't go and clean them out. And then they overflow, and then it sends more crap down into the creeks, rivers, and oceans. It's like, well, come on, guys. These are underground rubbish bins. Yeah, and look, ultimately, the next action is all about sort of appropriately managing these assets. But before we can really do that, we do need to know how to do that properly. Or or should I say, people responsible for the maintenance of these assets need to be appropriately trained to actually do this properly. And that's when we went on to go with Stormwater New South Wales and Chris Gray from GEMS Environmental Training, I think it is. Sorry, Chris. You know, to go, well, let's take this to the next step. What does it actually look like? We've been working with Blacktown City Council. They've got a great guideline, water-sensitive urban design guideline for maintenance. You know, we've got a great guideline within the Stormwater New South Wales umbrella, which is for hard systems, you know, filters, gross pollutants. That combined through a good training course, we've had to really think about it. If we had to train 3,000 people, how are we going to do it? So, you know, these are things that are happening around this document in the hope that this actually happens. So a lot of people, shout out to uh, Murray Powell, Chris Gray, Julie McGraw. I mean, there's so many people involved in trying to actually do this because there's good in it and it's a positive thing in a really crap time. And look, ultimately, this creates jobs and fulfills a need, a desperate need in our industry, will provide a whole bunch of benefits to the environment. It's a no-brainer. So the next step, the next recommendation is just simple. Identifying and assessing and rectifying existing stormwater treatment assets. And look, this is something we've talked about previously, but there's stacks of these assets. We think in Australia, there's probably tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of assets that have been installed across Australia to reduce the amount of litter and other pollutants going into our waterways from stormwater. And a lot of these are like gross pollutant traps, like uh, underground garbage bins that actually capture what we call gross pollutants or litter within stormwater networks. But ultimately, most of these assets don't get any maintenance and a lot of them are actually completely forgotten about and actually no one knows they're even there. So the key action here is essentially to identify 
what is already out there, assess its condition, and if necessary or appropriate, fix these assets up. It's like finding a, a car in your back paddock that you haven't looked at for 20 years. You could try to, um, it probably does need a bit of <laughs> fixing, or you might just decide to actually sort of decommission it completely. But we've got to go through that process of actually seeing what we do have and assessing it and potentially fixing up before we sort of go down the path of looking to appropriately manage that asset or install a new one or others downstream or upstream. Especially on these bigger council areas. Like, look, guys, we have to give credit where credit's due. There are councils that are proactively going, hey, we know we've got a problem. You know, they have identified it. It's almost a dirty little secret of local government or of government. They know they've got a problem. They know they've been handed a massive burden. They weren't prepared for it. They don't have the money. They're overworked, uh, under-resourced in these areas, and we understand that. So it's not a point-the-finger situation. It's very much, guys, they need a platform to know what they've got out there. They need to go out and see what assets they've got. As Brad said, you know, that's the obvious place. Go out and look where they are and maintain what we've got. I mean, it's a no-brainer. We must maintain all our stormwater quality treatment devices. Yeah, this is essentially recognising that we do have an issue that local government have in relation to their existing assets, but they just can't, they just don't have the resources to go out and identify and assess and potentially fix these assets themselves with their budgets. They do need investment. And if the state and federal government was able to do that, fantastic. Again, it'll stop a whole bunch of pollution going into the waterways and create a whole bunch of jobs in the process. You can can imagine how many jobs will be created by a whole bunch of people going out and identifying and assessing all these assets that have been essentially forgotten about or, you know, under-maintained for years, if not decades. So it's a no-brainer. This one's a really easy one to do. It'll create a whole bunch of jobs. And we're not just talking about public, like council-owned assets. There's a whole bunch of assets in private ownership as well. You know, the shopping centres, the the service centres. Again, most of those assets just are completely forgotten about. And it's just a case of, okay, giving council the resources to go out and actually appropriately inspect these assets or, or at least require the asset owner to demonstrate that these assets are in good condition. And then the next thing is just essentially ensuring the appropriate management of these assets. So it's one thing to identify and assess these assets, but we, we do know that there's a real deficiency in the amount of maintenance of that these assets receive, both in public and private ownership. And again, council often don't have the resources, particularly the cash, to actually do this appropriately. So they often do, well, they, they would significantly benefit from an injection of funds from state or federal or government to help council do this. So this will actually create, again, this just one action alone will create a whole bunch of jobs within council. And they might choose to sort of, you know, hire contractors or hire additional staff. I don't know. It's going to be up to them. And certainly for privately owned assets, it'll be essentially council employing additional staff to go out and and, and inspect some of these assets or requiring the asset owner to to appropriately demonstrate that these assets are being appropriately maintained. We speak to every council across Australia about this initiative and they all say, yeah, we'd love to enforce the appropriate maintenance of of assets on private sites, for example, but we just don't have the resources. Well, we're going to look to actually solve this. (coughs) Bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Let's go. Let's go on to that, Brad, because we were in a webinar today with Andrew Thomas, actually conveyed by Stormwater Queensland and Stormwater New South Wales. Really good w- webinar, actually. And Andrew, I think it took him six years to complete his PhD. Great webinar. We'll put it in the show notes if you want to have a look at it. 
in this webinar, we're talking about the fact that, you know, council don't have the resources. And Brad brought up this point. He goes, hold on. If I go outside, you're in inner city Brisbane, Brad. If he goes outside and he parks for too long outside his house, mate, within three or four hours, you'll have a parking ticket. What, what does a parking ticket cost you? I can tell you exactly. It's $100 because I got fined just a week ago for parking in Ramesbury Parklands. It was 7 o'clock in the morning and the parking meter requirement tipped over at 7 o'clock. So I was like five minutes over the limit and $100 fine. Okay, so, mate, that's awesome. Um, (laughs) I love stories like that. But, But our point is, so their revenue goes to the local council, the parking, you know, so they're out there fining people for parking too long. You get fined if you actually litter. You know, if you throw something and someone dobs you and you get license plate, they fine you a couple of hundred bucks. I don't know what that is. And yet people aren't being fined or we're not forcing stormwater maintenance for not cleaning out hazardous waste out of our underground rubbish bin. We're not fining them. And the reason I say this, it's a revenue generator. Like, I would be okay if I got fined because I was polluting the waterway, if I wasn't cleaning out my trap because I was stuffing it up for everyone else, I mean, come on, mate, help me out here. It blows my flipping mind. I, agree. I completely agree. It's easier to find the masses, the public, than it is to sort of find, I guess, you know, these big businesses like the shopping centres, the service stations, the uh, fast food centres. You know, these guys just don't get fined when they indirectly pollute the downstream environment. But in their defence, most of them wouldn't even know that they got assets underground. Well, that's changed in recent years. Yeah, that's changed, but I think we need to expedite that change with a bit of mojo, and this will require resources and money. <laughs> mojo. <laughs> Maybe you got some mojo. Always. <laughs> Always. Infinite supply. But look, uh, the next action is about mandating best practice stormwater quality management across the country. So in Queensland, Tasmania and Victoria, we currently have legislation. So if you're a new de- if you're a developer developing an area of land above a certain size, you have to put in uh, suitable devices to appropriately protect the downstream waterway. And that's across the state though, isn't it? Yeah, the whole state of Queensland, Tasmania and Victoria. Exactly. Okay. In New South Wales, some councils hey, require... I'll tell you about New South Wales, mate. You're a Queenslander. In New South Wales, we've got 33 metro councils, right? And if you go to Blacktown, who, you know, a lot of new development happens there, Blacktown have their own set of rules on how you can develop. If you go across the road to Bankstown, it's a whole different set of rules. We've got so many local governments here in New South Wales, and they've all got slightly different rules. We do not have a state policy around the management of stormwater. We don't have what Queensland have. Victoria have just got it. Northern Territory have got it. New South Wales are falling behind. We need, and this is what we're saying, we almost need a national approach to stormwater. Like, I'm sick of saying it, that stormwater is the poor cousin to wastewater. I mean, guys, we we know this is happening. This is a very important issue, and one that Mr. Morrison said in September, he doesn't want plastic going into our ocean. Well, Great, I've, you know, you've said that. Let's do something about it because it's not just plastic going into our ocean as we've recognised. This is an easy fix and, and something that is achievable. Yeah, yeah, look, 100%. And look, we've had this state planning policy in Queensland for about 15 years. It just blows my mind that these metro councils in Sydney, for example, still don't. I mean, what, what are you guys doing down there? But again, this, this initiative... That's a bit of a dig. What are you... <laughs> 
<laughs> Story Bridge versus Sydney Harbour Bridge. I'm sorry. Oh, what, you're comparing bridges? Come on. You want to compare anything? Compare climate. My goodness. I'm wearing budgie smugglers 24 7, 365 days a year. You're freezing in Sydney, eh? And doesn't the oh, world rejoice? God. Goodness gracious <laughs> me. I'm actually from New Zealand, so I don't care. I love all of Australia. <laughs> but having said that, we all actually won't, won't let you in the state at the moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for good reason. I'm hoping yeah. I'm hoping one the legislation remains post COVID. <laughs> and look, the next thing we're looking we're proposing to do is essentially just where we have a high litter generating areas that don't have any treatment at all currently, we want to see new assets put in. So the easiest asset to put in is these growth pollutant traps. You know, they're underground, they take up no space essentially our site and they can be easily maintained and they're very very effective at capturing litter provided they actually are appropriately maintained and they, they can be sort of big end of pipe devices like uh, with big sumps and chambers etc or they can be very simple little gully baskets that we put in sort of on road pits and gully pits to essentially capture litter as it basically goes down the drain and it's caught within the actual basket within the pit itself. And, and look, we might find in 10, 20 years' time that these assets just aren't required anymore because, I don't know, for whatever reason, uh, I can't imagine. But then, Or sometimes councils might go, oh, you know what, we don't want them anymore because we're doing something downstream. They're so easy to put in and, and remove. And again, this is something that someone with a minimal training can actually do. Put in a whole bunch of gully baskets in it on a mass scale is actually really easy to do. And again, to appropriately maintain these gully baskets is very, very simple. Literally lift the grate, pick it up, throw the trash in the back of the ute or wheelbarrow and go to the next one. Pretty simple. And again, all of these initiatives will create a whole bunch of jobs and it's and I think the vast majority of these jobs will actually be created for people with very minimal training in this space. Well, we've gone through it, and, and I think it's going to be a two- or three-day course, and you'll be accredited. Look, I'm, don't quote me around the accreditation side of it, as a, if it's going to be a national thing. I don't know. But you're going to be good to go. You're going to know more than anyone else out there in regards to it. So it's very easy to get out there and, and really make a difference. And I don't know, man. I'm excited. And, you know, I'm an optimist. And look, getting back to those jobs, like I've cleaned out gully baskets. I'm sure you have. Yep. It's very rewarding. Like, I don't yeah, it wanna, is. It is. I don't want to say it's sounds like being garbage, garbologist or whatever, like dirty work, oh, you know, it's just a whatever. I, I don't know. Like it's actually really rewarding and actually quite easy, you know, not dirty work to essentially lift the grate and pick up the gully basket and throw the trash in the back of the ute, whatever. Well, herein lies an idea, Bradley. Well, here we go. I love it on the show. Well, <laughs> How many people volunteer on beach cleanups? Oh, thousands. Tens of thousands, yeah, yeah. Thousands. Imagine if, if they every three months went and cleaned out one gully pit. Yeah. Look, I would like to see these assets getting maintained. Like, I'd love to have a gully basket in my street if I actually had permission. I'd love to see it maintained by the community. That would be the ultimate. Yeah. It's like if I put my garbage bins out on a, on a Wednesday morning, how come I can't just, yeah. you know, every third month, lift up the grate and remove the gully basket and chuck the contents in the back of my willy bin. What we're showing is these solutions, they're ready to rock and roll now. It's shovel ready. We can do these tomorrow. It doesn't require a huge amount of training. We'll create a whole bunch of jobs, save a whole bunch of plastic from going and other pollutants going into our waterways. And whilst we talk about the job creation in terms of the, we think, 7,400 jobs created by this initiative, we're not even talking about the sort of economic benefits associated with you know, cleaner waterways. Cleaner beaches. Yeah, yeah, 100%. We haven't even gone into that, and I really want to acknowledge that. I mean, because 
we could say, hey, well, I mean, well, what's well, we could spend the time, effort, and money and go, what's going to be the outcome from the aquatic system, fisheries, you know, seabirds, you know, if we think to that step of, hey, we achieved this by 2031, what would our waters look like? I mean, it would be a fantastic thing, yeah, for that industry, it'd be a fantastic thing for tourism. You'd have Lara Bingle up on a beach going, where the bloody hell are you? This is the cleanest place on earth. You know, it's a chance for Australia to be leaders in our waterway health. And, hey, the ocean is so important to us all. It is a chance for Mr Morrison and the Australian government to do something that they know they want to do. I, I feel it, mate. He said it at the UN, you know, come on, have your Jacinta Ardern moment. (laughs) <laughs> but look, you're right. And look, ultimately, we know there's votes in this. Everyone is really concerned about various environmental initiatives, but we also know that a key concern is marine and waterway health. And we know one of the key bugbears of people is litter pollution. If you look at the community surveys around all the environmental initiatives that people might be concerned about, litter pollution is by far and away the number one sort of bugbear of the population. That that is irrelevant of whether you consider yourself as a greenie or a non-greenie. When people see litter, they get annoyed. But look, getting back to Scott Morrison, you know, just he said in 2019 at the UN United Nations General Assembly, I'm going to quote him. So this is Scott Morrison talking. Protecting our oceans is also one of the most pressing environmental challenges. To protect our ocean, Australia is committed to leading urgent action to combat plastic pollution choking our oceans. So we know we've got a Prime Minister who recognises it's an issue, and he's actually committed to doing something about it. Well, just on that, though, yeah, did Mr Morrison, in his defence, because, you know, everyone has a bad day, did he actually realise how pollution got out to the ocean? And I ask you that, Brad, because I don't think some people do. And, hey, don't get me wrong, he's got that policy paper in front of him right now, and I hope he's reading it in detail. But, you know, we know, we live and breathe this. And um, shout out to Denise Hardesty at CSIRO right now. I hope you're crunching numbers because we've been (laughs) collaborating with Denise, a lovely, lovely, wicked scientist, human being. I mean, she is a ray of light and just a beast for data. She's just a data, well, I can't even say that. But a shout out to them because we got a call. We We should say this, we got a call to say, hey, guys, you you should really, you know, hook up. So we've actually signed a bit of an agreement with them and we're helping them and they're helping us and it's really cool. But that's Australia's peak body, peak research body. And they are really concerned because they believe one of the biggest contributors to plastics, just like us, is stormwater. The other one's illegal dumping, but stormwater is one of the main contributors to plastic in our oceans. So Australia's own research centre is going to tell the same story. Well, We'll see. Yeah, and in, in our in the policy paper, if people are interested in diving into the science and the data a bit more, we have a sort of a snapshot on the ocean plastic pollution issue. And we talk about the fact that, you know, every year 8 million tonnes of plastic go into our ocean and that number is only increasing. But the key thing here, and this is re- relevant for Scott Morrison's statement, is, yeah, 80% of that ocean plastic pollution is from land-based sources flowing through our drains with stormwater runoff as the key transport mechanism as to how that plastic enters our waterways. Now, in Australia, we think about 1.58 tonne 
of plastic enters the Australian oceans and waterways every hour. So it's 1.58 tonne an hour going from Australia land into Australian waterways and ocean. And whilst we talk a lot about plastic and litter, we also recognise that stormwater runoff contains a whole bunch of very, very nasty pollutants that are less visible, but certainly just as damaging, if not more damaging pollutants, such as you know dirt and heavy metals and nutrients and bacteria. And we do know that stormwater is a, is a key source of pollution in our water, waterways and is the number one cause of ecological degradation in our waterways. So whilst we're sort of focusing a lot on litter, we're essentially using litter as a bit of a gateway pollutant for essentially advocating for better cash and management and ultimately better protection of our waterways and oceans. And that's what this uh, strategy is documented and detailed, the actions, et cetera. But we should point out, like getting back to how the listener can sort of, or a question for you, Jeremy, how, how can the listener help us sort of push home this message and get uh, political support? Well, the obvious one is to, to jump on board with us and, and go to www.zerolittertoocean.com.au, read through the policy paper, put your support on there. But that's easy to do. You know, number one, you got to do that. Number two, really have a think. I mean, it all starts with what you do at home. It starts with your everyday habits. And that's what we're promoting, you know, and that's what we need to do as humans. We need to be more aware of our surroundings, you know. So I would encourage you to think about what you do at home. You know, I would encourage you to go, do I really need to wrap that in glad wrap? Well, why do I have glad wrap? And why do I have single-use bags? When I go to the supermarket, why do I need a bag? You know, start to think about that. Obviously, a single-use water bottle. If you don't have one of them, you're not cool. I'm just saying, you're not. And if anyone doesn't have one, I'll buy you one. Just because. So if anyone listens, I will buy you one. Jeremy Brown will buy you one, okay? Jeez. We'll see how many listens we've got. I'll report back on that stat. Yeah, Candy's going to order three. <laughs> but really be aware. And that starts with looking at your habits and your family life and so forth. So start there. But also be more aware, you know, it's going on before about walking around. But once you see, you know, all the crap on the ground, you can't unsee it, right? So be more aware and, and be more aware of your local issues. You know, wherever you're living, you know, you obviously take pride, you love it. Well, you know, have a decent look and get involved in community sort of services and ask your community the hard questions. What are we doing as a community? But also, what is our local municipality or council, what are they doing for it? And together with voice and, and strong voices, they're the two things that I'd love people to do. You know, be more aware, but also at the same time, ask questions. Be that person that writes to your local council and go, hey, I heard about this. What are we doing in Wyong? What are we doing in Aubrey? What are we doing down in Melbourne? Like, get involved. Ask a question. It's the most important and the most effective way. Put pressure back on the people that decide for us. The politicians are the ones that need to change. So we need to tell them that we want change. 100%, yeah. Well said, Jeremy. Yeah, look, there's a lot of things that the, the individual can do and certainly, I guess, asking key questions to your local, state and federal government representatives about what they're doing in this space and potentially asking them to sort of provide support or at least consider this initiative further would be a good thing. Certainly, like, it's got to be better than building another road. Who are you going to ask? I mean, you've got Mr. Frank Wilkie. He obviously yeah. signed on because Brad's obviously from Noosa. His parents live in Noosa. And actually, your whole family are actually avid listeners of the show. 
Oh, 100%. I've got the whole uh, two brothers, Matthew and Julian, shout out, and mum and dad love the show. Mum doesn't like it when Jeremy swears, has to be said. Um, oh, and, and hold on, I have to correct you. Your use of English sometimes is junior, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're criticising me about my use of English. Oh, hey, look, just because I throw a bit of a, you know, swear word in there occasionally, you can't even, you know, the, uh, Helen and I. You say me and Helen. I mean, come on. Oh, please. Oh, <laughs> please, please, stop it. I actually, though, Helen did pull me up. What a bloody. Is bloody a swear word? No, I think she criticised me for using the word bloody. I yeah. think your swear words generally get beeped out, but she still knows what she, you're saying. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, now I feel embarrassed. Yeah, okay, yeah, certainly yeah, ask your local state or federal representatives to see if they're willing to actually get behind this initiative uh, and consider it. Yeah. But like I said, it, it, Jeremy indicated, like, we've already had 50 organisations already commit, like private industry NGOs. If you're a member of a local group or whatever and you're keen to potentially provide support, yeah, reach out to us for sure on that zerolitter.com.au website. Well, Brad. That was a lively discussion. It was a lively discussion. But, mate, a couple of other things that we should maybe touch on. Um, oh, here we go. How's your love life? <laughs> We're going to talk about my love life on podcasts. <laughs> Especially with my mum listening. Good anyway. I know, no, no, no. So it's time to land this plane, Brad. So before we go, can I ask what you're wearing? Because <laughs> for the listeners, he halfway through the, the podcast ripped off his jumper. And are you wearing like a cycling top yeah so i started off it's freezing cold in brisbane so oh you just said it was balmy mate you're afraid you're around your budgie smugglers before (laughs) (laughs) local tourism industry but i I actually started wearing my uh ultraman australia jacket uh but i'm still wearing my uh triathlon jersey uh and underneath that i've got my ocean look at you superman jeans and i've also got my vegan okay (laughs) land this plane not take off okay so jeremy we've got this policy we've got the website we've got all these supporters we've sent it around to a whole bunch of federal and state politicians what's the plan now do what you do best mate don't stop. So to all the politicians that we have seen it to, and you know who you are, but we're coming for you. So together with Stormwind in New South Wales, Alan Benson, Andrew Thomas, myself, we're coming and we're going to get in front of these people and just tell our story. I mean, the document, it's very clear, but we're going to get in front of you, meet with you, and try and get this thing up. And we're not going to stop. When I say try, we're not going to stop trying. So, you know, we're going to New South Wales. We're going to every minister around the country. Brad, you know, you've helped me send all these emails. Mm, I know. And so I guess the next time we have a chat like this, we'll be able to give you guys an update. But, you know, it is a lofty goal, but it's one that's achievable. And so hopefully we're back on this podcast and I don't know, three months' time and we can give you a bit of an update on what's going on because with support from our listeners and from the community, from all the people who've listed, we're only going to get more and more support. And that's something I should point out. There were a lot of companies and there were a lot of councils around Australia that wrote back to us and said, hey, guys, this is absolutely amazing. What you guys are doing is awesome, but we don't have enough time to get it through council before you need it to to get in front of government. So I'd expect by the time we, we talk about this again, we're going to have a hell of a lot more support and we'll be able to give you guys an update on, on where we're at. Sounds good to me. Boom, boom, shake the room, shake and bake. Shake and bake. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. 
If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.